how do you counsel clients or even do you counsel clients to get beyond this notion that maybe the computer will do all of the work and that it really is that human machine collaboration? I think the majority of prospective clients read things online about AI that are overly optimistic and overly tech. Um, so like I feel the real forefront of AI is teaching the business people about what AI is and how to use it productively. And what I believe a lot of these people learn engaging with us is that technology is just one part of the solution. Hello, I'm Nigel Peacock, and you're listening to The Human Kind of AI, a podcast that explores the minds of the people working in artificial intelligence, machine learning, and data science, mostly. I'll be interviewing guests who are solving serious challenges, making real impact and saving lives using AI, a real possibility when it's deployed ethically and thoughtfully. Join me, it's good stuff. Today's guest is Steven Sklaru, CEO of Synaptic, AI product champion, and leading proponent of the human kind of AI. Stephen presents a compelling perspective on why AI isn't simply an engineering challenge, and despite common thinking to the contrary, AI really needs human guidance and intelligence to be successful. He explains how counseling, collaboration, and tempered optimism are the ingredients to a positive AI experience. That said, there is a passing reference to the Borg in this episode, who may have their own take on human intelligence, which is not to be confused with the human kind of AI. When I hear humankind, I think of humanity, the human race. When you talk about the human kind of AI, what do you mean? Yeah, so to me, it, it encapsulates three things. One is, you know, we're focused on solutions that have a positive impact to people, all living things, and the earth at large. And that includes things like climate change, loss of biodiversity, healthcare, things like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and cancer. So that's one, one piece. The second is we're really focused on interactions between humans on our projects. So, you know, while we have amazing data scientists that can get super geeky about data and training models, a number of us, you know, are business executives and strategists that, that help our clients think through the larger picture and, and how AI can positively impact their business and all the things that they need to do around making that happen beyond the technical work, which can include things like redesigning business processes, um, upskilling their staff, thinking about organizational design. So that's the second item. And the third is the solutions that we create, we're really focused on empowering humans to be more successful. So we think about AI as like a superpower for humans. And so Solutions, for example, in the cardiovascular space where we're helping um, patients get their reports faster, um, that, that helps the providers, that helps the patient. Um, and in many of these solutions, you know, humans are an integral part of the delivery. Uh, it's not just about deploying an AI model. It's about the collaboration between a human and machine delivering a solution that takes advantage of, of each 
individual's expertise, right? A machine's great at crunching numbers and a human is great at delivering messages in a um, meaningful way to another human. And so those are really the three things. Um, beyond that, I'll say that as we're working on projects, you know, we really try to help our clients understand the bigger impact that they're making. Um, so while it's easy to think about you know, some AI project helping my business, but many of these you know, initiatives actually have a bigger societal impact. And uh, we spend some time with our clients talking through that and the bigger impact that they're making by using AI for good. You mentioned using humans to deliver the results of, of the model. Is, is AI not there yet in terms of being able to deliver that message in a meaningful way? Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting question. I mean, lots of companies are focused on things like conversational chatbots. And I don't know how many times you've been on the phone talking to a chatbot, but it, you know, it's still painful. Um, my personal opinion is that it's going to be a long time before we feel comfortable interacting with the chatbot in a way that, that makes us feel good. And therefore, any time that I talk to a chatbot over customer service, I immediately type agent or zero because I get very frustrated, you know, trying to navigate, you know, a hard set script coming from a machine. And I think that holds true with a lot of implementations with AI, particularly in healthcare. You know, when you're talking about such sensitive topics, um, having that emotional connection with the recipient is really important. Um, likewise, you know, for regulatory reasons, there's, there's a purpose of having a provider between kind of a machine and a patient. Um, but I think that's kind of where a lot of these services businesses are going. It's, it's the human is actually delivering the experience that's guided by insights from a machine that is crunching a lot of data. And therefore the human could provide better insights to another human. Um, and faster insights to another human. Um, it's unfortunate, but you know, we spend a lot of time crunching data when we should be spending time with other humans and delivering information and explaining what the data means. So um, that's how I see things. And I've seen it in action and it's very compelling. Is there a criteria that a client needs to meet in order to fit the human kind of AI mission? Yeah. So. It's a tough one. Um, we certainly seek industries that affect in a positive way humanity. Um, we seek individuals in those organizations that are morally aligned with the human kind of AI. Um, but candidly, I'll say there's many organizations that come across as perhaps against the human kind of AI. Um, but when you dig in, they're, they're making investments in initiatives that are very much aligned with the human kind of AI. Um, and so while I had originally thought this would be very easy to pick out the companies and the people that align with this perspective, it's actually a lot harder than I expected. And we tried to codify some rule sets around it and realize that it just requires a lot of understanding both of the company, the individuals we're working with, and then probably most importantly, the actual initiative that they want to invest in. Um, and therefore, uh, 
it's not a simple process for us to figure that out. Have you ever found that the clients themselves may not necessarily know that they do fit the human kind of AI mission? Um, but in fact, after your discussions with them or even discovery, it, they really do. Yeah, so they're definitely not thinking about things in our terms in most cases. Like, as much as I'd love to say every client starts on our website, um, the reality is we meet clients through different channels and they may or may not um, know about the human kind of AI. Um, we are just starting to educate prospective clients and clients on the human kind of AI and in our interactions. And we have had many interesting conversations about where the line is drawn in their specific initiative and in their organization. Um, by and large, they're very compelled. I think there's just a growing sense of, I'll call it urgency, to start solving some of humanity's problems, <laughs> given what's going on in the world. And you know, when we bring up the human kind of AI, the majority of our clients want to talk about that as a separate string of conversation and they lead on to all sorts of interesting follow-up conversations that may or may not have to do with their company and may have to do with them as individuals. So it's it's a great platform to get to know our clients better um, and in some cases to see different perspectives on things than we have by having those conversations. But by and large, I would say that uh, most clients are very myopic on what's going inside of their organization, what's going inside their team. And so it you know, takes a conversation to kind of lift them out of their day-to-day -day and think about how this could impact you know, the world at large. I understand that. I think there's an irony of scale, isn't it? That very often the larger the enterprise, the more myopic the groups or organizations within the enterprise are. Absolutely. I mean, we had that same problem too. We just ran a webinar last week and we got, I think, 10 people in our office, which you know was better than zero, but but weren't sure what to expect with the pandemic. But the follow-up conversations from the webinar when we started you know, networking and having pizza and whatnot were really interesting because a number of people in the webinar were compelled by the human kind of AI, and we were able to connect dots and things that they were doing and how it kind of tied to the human kind of AI, and, and it really stimulated great conversation. I was going to take you back to... A comment you made earlier about the human machine collaboration. How do you counsel clients or even do you counsel clients to get beyond this notion that maybe the computer will do all of the work and that it really is that human machine collaboration? I think the majority of prospective clients read things online about AI that are overly optimistic and overly tech. Um, so like, I feel the real forefront of AI is teaching the business people about what AI is and how to use it productively. And what I believe a lot of these people learn engaging with us is that technology is just one part of the solution. Again, I think that's what differentiates us in the space is that while you can build a model and deploy a model, um, it's really the people that make it successful. And even if you don't need a human in the loop and training a model over and over again, it's the belief in the model, it's the support of the model, it's the integration of the model into the customer experience that makes it successful. 
And I believe today, most of the AI endeavors are focused on just creating a model, not having a successful production use of the model. And so I wouldn't say it's a slap in the face to new clients wanting to do AI. I think it's a progressive uh, period of education. Um, and that's part of the reason why we start with these feasibility studies, because there's a lot to learn outside of crunching the data to make these solutions successful. Are you able to determine a set of common characteristics of the clients or even the people that you partner with for a human kind of AI engagement? Yeah, I mean, the, the good news is many of the inbound opportunities we get come from the folks that have the attributes we think are most important to make these projects successful. And that is innovation, intellectual curiosity, experience working with vendors, and kind of having the patience of doing something that is wholly new to their organization. Um, so the inbound, you know, kind of already drives those type of people towards us. When we, you know, seek clients and interact with organizations to encourage them to engage us, it's a bit harder. Um, so we certainly look for individuals that are or report to executive sponsors that have the financial and political support to do things like this. Uh, but we also seek industries where we believe they have a lot of data. They may be more laggards you know, compared to financial services or high tech type stuff, but they have a change agent that's wanting to take the company in a positive direction and believes that their data is an asset. Um, and so having believers that are influencers and champions and communicators is really key because AI is really a journey. It's not a one-time thing. You know, you, you invest a little money, you get something out of it and you move on. It's very much journey and having individuals inside the organization that have that influence, that have a positive outlook on the future, but are realistic is really, really important, especially when we're talking about enterprise level deployments of AI. I imagine then in that mix of characters that it's important to have subject matter experts um, that maybe understand the context um, and have domain knowledge as well to bring together knowledge of areas that you don't necessarily know until you've gone through that discovery. And they may not necessarily understand how that feeds into the process, but that collaboration between the two brings it together. Is that an accurate statement? Very accurate. Yeah, there's only so much an outsider can get in a discovery session. Unfortunately, having been a recipient of many discovery sessions, clients can ultimately get frustrated of spending all their time teaching a service provider and paying them to teach, to, to learn. Um, so going back to the human kind of AI discussion at the beginning, I would say that the magic is coupling a domain expert and a data scientist. And it's incredible to see what can happen when those two parties come together. And that's in the day-to-day -day trenches of the work. That's not a discovery session. That is the formulation of, of a hypothesis, the preparation of the data, the training of the model and the review of the model output. Those two people working together are critical. I wonder then during that collaboration, that this becomes an opportunity for education for the client as well. Perhaps 
learning elements of this process that they hadn't necessarily thought about before, but building upon those learnings. And does that ever change the client's use case? Does that ever change the objective materially or does it fundamentally stay the same, but may give some nuance? So two things. One is I would say that the learning is mutual and that's part of the fun that we have in these engagements. Um, by sitting with a domain expert, we learn a lot about the business, the data, the challenges, uh, and we become better partners. To your main question, there are many times where we engage with a client and the initial request is, tell me whether this hypothesis is true and here's my data. And we take what they believe is the facts in their data, determine whether they're true or not, and along the way, we discover new patterns or new truths that they didn't even know was in their data. And it's very common for that to lead us down a new path that they didn't even expect. If unexpected results are revealed to the client, is this viewed by them as a positive or a negative or a combination of the both? <laughs> kind of depends on what the results are. We had one client that had a data set related to foot traffic and retail stores. And their hypothesis was that during the pandemic, there was less foot traffic and therefore there was less activity in the retail stores. And it turned out that their hypothesis was wrong. Um, and that could be a sensitive moment. Um, most people don't like to be told they're wrong. Um, but this client took it in stride and you know, we worked with them to find other patterns in their data that they found compelling. But sometimes it can be a hard conversation to tell someone that what you thought was a fact is not reality. Um, and then on the flip side, particularly in the area of healthcare, it's very common for us to discover new patterns. And for every practitioner we've worked with in that space, they get super excited. Um, and occasionally, we'll find patterns that are backed by research papers that they didn't even know existed. So there is further support in this pattern and an aha moment that research exists out there to substantiate it. Um, and that's really exciting. Now, without giving away the secret source, you presumably have access to those research papers. How do you go about marrying that research into the solution or even into the presentation to the client? The good news is a number of the folks in our company are researchers at heart. Um, and so in practically every project, after understanding what the use case is or the hypothesis is from the client, we go search existing papers. There's a wealth of information out there. It's changing every day. And you know we're plugged into the channels to read papers. Um, with that said, we're focused more on the research papers related to you know, data science, machine learning, and AI, not specific to any particular domain. Um, <clears throat> and when we work in a particular domain, we do some searches for existing papers or research out there in that domain. So it is part of our process to kind of search what's out there before building something. The example that I was giving you in healthcare, it was actually the um, CEO of the company that did some follow-up research in PubMed and found papers that substantiated the patterns we saw, which was really exciting. Um, so we don't actively go deep 
in our clients' domain research, but we do in data science, AI, machine learning at the beginning of every engagement. You mentioned uh, several times about the feasibility study and the data strategy. It's my understanding then that these are part of the AIQ framework. Tell me about the framework. For the first couple of years of the business, we didn't have a methodology. We had a, a number of experts in the field and um, folks like myself that have been in management consulting and, and product management, um, but we really didn't have a, a methodology to how we were delivering solutions successfully. And several years ago, we went through a process of really discovering who we are as a company and realizing that the growth of our company and the success of our projects is a function of systematizing things and being authentic to our customers. And one of the areas that we were loosest, I would say, is in strategy. We had picked up a number of strategy projects. You know, we had used our management consulting skills to kind of customize those projects, but we really didn't have a systematized approach. And therefore, we couldn't do a lot of strategy projects because only few people could do them. So in parallel with realizing our strategy engagements were fairly loose and um, we were discovering our brand, we realized that this concept of AIQ or the artificial intelligent quotient would be a great metric at the heart of everything that we do. And we could use it to not only measure where a company is today, but we could define a waypoint of where they should be in the future and use that information in the future for benchmarking and all sorts of other educational materials that we could help clients with on their journey. What are the material results of AIQ that the client would see? So there are basically two components of AIQ. One is strategy and the other is execution. So in strategy, we have basically two steps, just to keep it simple. One is we do an assessment of the organization's current state and understand what their near-term business objectives are. And two is we put together recommendations and a roadmap on what we think they should do in the next 18 months or so. So those are the, the outputs of the strategy phase. Um, in that roadmap, we define use case specific initiatives they should consider deploying. Um, and that results in a series of execution projects. Those projects may be done internally with no external vendors, or they may be done with external vendors like Synaptic. And so AIQ is really this concept that serves as the, nu the nucleus to that entire process. In the ideal case, on an annual basis, we would reassess the organization's current state, adjust their strategy, and adapt their roadmap and execution so that they are continuing to stay competitive in their market. Is AIQ the be-all and end-all of the service offering? Yeah, so it's easy to kind of latch on or anchor on to this metric to determine whether you're successful. But the reality is what we're trying to do is achieve your business objectives by leveraging your data. And AIQ is a metric to assess your readiness for AI at an enterprise level and your data maturity and doesn't necessitate a high score 
to work on initiatives that are positive for your business objectives or help you achieve your business objectives. Therefore, think of it as a companion, but not the driving force. The driving force is really your business objectives and in, in using data to, to fulfill those objectives. Regarding the scale of AI, there's a tendency, at least for me, um, to think of the application of AI on a, on a grand scale. I mean, you've mentioned enterprise level um, several times during our discussion. Um, is, it, is there a minimum size application of AI or should our thinking be guided by scale or is there no problem too small? So in the early days, I think it's really important to find things that are small and impactful. Um, the resistance to AI can be substantial. And in some cases, organizations that get into this, that try something too big, um, fail, and then to the detriment of the organization, they shelve AI for a while. And that can be very, very bad for the organization. So sometimes the smallest things are the most impactful things, and that's amazing. Um, particularly if data exists to train a successful model to address that small issue. That is a diamond that should be sought after immediately. I think it's very common for positive change agents to want to jump in and solve a gigantic problem. And we've heard stories time and time again of how those Hail Mary projects poison an organization's motivation in AI. So we very much encourage starting small, starting impactful, and starting something where you have existing data that can support a, a production use model. How would you typically work with resistance to any aspect of, of AI? Right. So if we have a client who's like an AI naysayer, maybe the person that hired us is into it, but there's a person on the engagement with high influence that's like, this isn't going to work. Exactly. So good news is that's not very frequent. I think a lot of people are um, excited about it, um, but we have had more skeptical clients occasionally. And I would say on our side, it's really about patience and proper expectation setting. Um, we try to be realists as much as possible, even when our clients are super zealous about the opportunity because we don't want to overset expectations. But for the naysayers, patience and education is key. We had a client early on in our company's evolution that was also a data scientist and very, very skeptical of everything that we were doing, even though uh, he hired us to do these things. And we spent hours explaining things to him. We you know, wrote a very comprehensive document substantiating our approaches. Um, and while it was a very difficult project for us, uh, he definitely appreciated that and um, it kind of helped maintain our relationship through the engagement. But by and large, um, if we have extreme naysayers, I won't kid you, they are very difficult projects and we try to avoid those type of engagements um, by identifying that situation in the sales process. I would imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, though, that the spirit of the human kind of AI perhaps relieves most forms of resistance, knowing what the overall goal is. 
Yes, <clears throat> resistance is futile. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, so this was this client, actually a few of the clients we've had that, that fall into the naysayer list, um, they were prior to the human kind of AI and we certainly weren't using that as a litmus test or filter early on. But you know, particularly in larger organizations, um, for instance, we've done a lot of work in, in the legal industry you know, there are people in that industry that are very, very analytical. And it takes patience and education and understanding to make those engagements work. And these people are just doing their jobs. I mean, they're trained to, to look for problems. And um, we just want to be as humble and as authentic and as candid as possible. So we don't get into a situation where we create bigger problems because they're skeptical about what we're doing. I like the final reference here to humankind versus the Borg. Thank you for reminding me that resistance truly is futile. Stephen Sclerou, thank you so much for um, giving us your insights um, and experiences um, with the humankind of AI today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Nigel. I had a great time. Appreciate it. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. More episodes of The Human Kind of AI are available on all your favorite podcast platforms. You can find out more about the show at synaptic.ai forward slash podcasts. You can contact us by sending an email to thehumankindofai, all one word, at synaptic.ai. Let us know when you enjoy the show, give us your feedback, and feel free to suggest any topics you'd like us to explore on future episodes. I'm your real-life host, Nigel Peacock, and I promise to keep my AI on people. Let me get back in my body.